I got a great Christmas present this year, this new sound system. <laughs> and everybody here all right? Yeah, what a gift. And uh, I want to thank uh, our sound team and Joel Kirk in particular for help putting that together and for one family's memorial gift that helped take care of, well, took care of all of it. What a gift that was. Because it's so important to be able to hear the spoken word, and we are blessed to have that. So this morning we are looking at, on this last Sunday of the year at how Jesus speaks to us very personally. In John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42, listen as I read God's word for us. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus told them, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Jews took up stones again to to stone Jesus. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, though only a human being, are making yourself God. Jesus answered, is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? Those to whom the word of God came were called gods, and the scripture cannot be annulled. Can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said I am God's son? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Then they tried to arrest Jesus again, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to Jesus, and they were saying, John performed no sign. But everything that John said about this man is true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the Lord take this word and make it one that changes our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we come now, we pray that your good news would come and find us and hide us in you that you would renew in us a sense of your abiding presence, that your good news would come not only in word but in power, 
in your Holy Spirit and with the assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Well, here we are. Here we are at the end of another adventure we call a year. Remember? <laughs> Remember when it took a year for a year to go by? <laughs> yeah, I think we've experienced time inflation somehow. I mean, when you're five years old, a year felt like 20% of your life. Oh, it was. That's why. <laughs> but listen, I think time inflation has snuck up and shortened that period. And regardless of how long it takes a year, there is something within us. Maybe, maybe it's the shortness of days. And, and especially in winter, as this passage points out, it was winter time. Maybe there's something that causes us in this time of year to deeply reflect on just what life is about. Do you, do you find that you get that way, a little bit more introspective this time of year? I, I certainly do. It is in this passage that it's clear Jesus knows time has been compressed. Jesus knows at this particular time in his journey, in his mission, and his life, things are getting down to the last moment. It's time to make clear why he is here and who he is and what his purpose is. Now, those who were surrounding him on that day, he's in Solomon's portico. This is where a lot of John's uh, gospel has been taking place. They're getting pretty darned impatient with him. In fact, John Stott suggests that they're really saying, this paraphrase, quit annoying us. Quit messing with us, to put it in the vernacular. Come out and say something we can really nail you with because we are tired of your playing with us and we're tired of playing with you. Come on out and say something. We know who the Messiah is to be and we know you aren't him and we want to take care of that right now. Okay? I find this personally indicting. Do you? I find these things because that, that is too often exactly how I talk to Jesus. Oh, I, I don't want to admit that. I, I don't ever come out so blatantly and say that, but, but my life is that way. If, if you're, come on, say something, do something on my terms. I say, I think I know just how my battles are to go. I know how my life is to go. I know who is supposed to win and how and why. I know who God is supposed to be. I know who the Messiah is supposed to be. I know he's supposed to come and take care of things for me. It's not happening. What's wrong? Now, too often, I'm, I'm not unlike these bullies in the temple, and that's exactly who they were. You know, they had their finery on. They had their position in culture and in, in the Jewish tradition, and nobody could really question them, so they could just sort of make things up as they went along, and they could really nail people, and that's exactly what they were trying to do with Jesus. And this is a particular time. They were celebrating a feast time. And you'll notice, I learned this recently. Some of you were with me when we were studying this. Most all, if not all, of Jesus' times of announcement of his mission came during feast times. 
specific times in the life of the Jewish people. And here's why. This was a newish Jewish festival. This had only happened like 200 years before Jesus uh, was on the scene here, about 167 uh, B.C. And it was when a fellow by the name of Judas Maccabeus, some of you have heard about him, Handel wrote music about him because he was a great hero. He had risen up against the Syrian people who had taken control of Jerusalem. He came up with a band and just took those guys out. And they were celebrating that the temple was back in Jewish control. So the reality was these Jewish leaders were expecting the same kind of Messiah like Judas Maccabeus with a big sword and an entourage of guerrilla warriors to come in and kick the Romans out and to make things right. And the reality is too often so are we. So am I. Too often I'm expecting that God will come in with power on my terms. We want force. And we want it on our terms and we want it on our timing. We do not want to have to repent or wait or consider that maybe, (laughs) imagine this, we need to make changes in our living. We don't want to have to think about that. We know how it's supposed to be. The Jewish leaders were ready to fire Jesus, or worse. And I'm afraid that rather than making changes in my life, I'm way too often too ready to do the same thing, to fire Jesus or worse, and just to say, fine, fine, I'll take care of this. I am not patient or confident or trusting enough to let someone else be in charge of my life, even if, even if I have in my head said that that is the author of life. I could say, you're the Lord. You're everything. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, the day-to-day kinds of things in my life, I can very easily grab them back and say, I got this. This announcement is about Jesus showing us what it means to be led by Jesus on Jesus' terms. Once again, Pastor Timothy Keller is extremely helpful in understanding what this means as we look at a new year, as he writes in this little book that I commend to all of you, Hidden Christmas. Get a copy of this. Read it throughout the year. Dr. Keller says, The angel tells Joseph what he is to name his boy. Remember this part? The angel comes and says, You're going to name him Jesus. Jesus was telling the Jewish leaders who the Lord of life is to be in this passage we've just read. And so he's telling them virtually the same thing. You're not going to name the Messiah. I'll tell you who the Messiah is. You're not going to tell me who the Messiah is. We get that backward. But in that patriarchal culture, Dr. Keller writes, it was the father's absolute right to name the child. And unfortunately, the Jewish leaders had gotten to thinking, well, then that's what we get to do. The Jewish father had complete rights over his children, and naming was the sign of control over the family. The angel, however, was taking that away from Joseph. You don't get to do that anymore. By refusing to let him name Jesus, the angel, which means messenger, is saying, 
If Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. This child who is coming into your life, you're not going to be his manager. He's going to be your manager. He's going to be in control of you. The child who is about to be born is your manager. Jesus is our manager. Keller concludes, only if we have Jesus and give him our supreme allegiance will we get what we need most from him. We give him complete allegiance and control. Then what we most need comes to us. We need him to name us. And what does he name us? You shall no longer be lonely, outcast, unredeemed, sinner, What has he named us? Forgiven, whole, complete, renewed. He made us. He knows who we are and what we are made for. He knows what will fit us. And that means we cannot know Jesus. And we cannot know who we are until he comes into our life. And then through obedience, we learn from him what our true identity is. Whoa. That's a bunch, isn't it? Jesus exposes his true identity in this passage by reaching into our lives and identifying our deepest need. And it is for him to take us where we know we need to be. That's why Jesus came. God placed within us the knowledge that we need to belong to him, and Jesus came to take us to that place. That means we have to change. We have to change and surrender. If we have to accept what needs to take place in our lives, then we need to accept that it may be and probably is diametrically opposite the goals and means we have in mind. And guess what? Too often we are not interested if that is what it takes. But Jesus challenges that by saying, I told you that I am the Lord of life, but you did not believe me. I came to show you that I give life and life abundant. He just told us that last week. But you did not believe me. Jesus Jesus makes it very clear that he is on a mission. It's the Father's mission. That's why he says, I and the Father are one. Which is the Son's mission. Which is the Holy Spirit's mission. Uniting them as three in one person. And do you know what that mission is? Do you know what the ultimate mission of Jesus Christ is? Anybody know? It's you. You are the mission of Jesus Christ. I am the mission of Jesus Christ. We together are the mission of Jesus Christ. He has come to take us to himself. He's come to take us home. He's come to make all things new. He's come to show us how to live through all of our days, the dark and the light, until we stand face to face with him forever, and nothing, including giving up his own life, is going to stand in the way of him accomplishing his mission. He says, no one's going to snatch you from my hand. Nothing. No situation, no circumstance, no sorrow, no brokenness, no disappointment. You are mine. That day, Jesus asked a very 
poignant question. For which of these good works are you going to stone me? For which of the things I have done are you going to stone me? My friend Randy Northrup has written and recorded a song that says, You have been so good to me, O Lord, in spite of all you know of me. For which of these good works that I have done for you, knowing who you are, are you going to fire me or kill me as the Lord of your life? You see, every day God is protecting us so that we may be drawn into his eternal embrace. Sometimes we're aware of that, aren't we? Sometimes we are aware of God acting toward us, and sometimes we even say thank you. Imagine that. Thank you, Lord. But Jesus wants to know, for which of the things that I am doing to protect you are you going to fire me? For which of the changes that I've called you to make in your life so that we can be one together, are you going to stone me? (laughs) Okay, so you're wondering, what's up with the axe? I'll tell you. Paul Douglas couldn't be here today, but Paul Douglas is a giver of gifts. And some of you saw on uh, Facebook uh, this week that uh, a couple years ago, Paul gave me 15 different kinds of spam. You didn't know there were 15 kinds of spam, did you? Last week you saw that Paul had this beautifully carved shepherd's staff made for me in Bethlehem. And this week he shows up with this beautiful axe for me for Christmas. And so I got to thinking, uh, okay, so Paul's on the search team, all right, and I thought, well, maybe this means I'm getting the axe. Kind of previews of coming attractions. And then Kate says, no, Dad, Paul knows how much you love to camp. He knows you're going to want to be splitting a lot of wood, so he got you an axe. But then I thought, hmm, okay, that's probably it. But Paul is always thinking about the mind of Christ. And I thought, you know what? The axe is Jesus. The axe is Jesus cutting deeply into our lives. And I wasn't going to do this, but he's, he's so good. I'm in here a couple days ago setting this up, and I just wanted the axe to just kind of rest gently on the surface, right? Okay, but I find this one, and, and Karen comes in, and she she's, sees me, and I'm laughing my head off. She goes, what? I go, I just wanted the axe to just sort of rest gently on top of this log, But all I did was tap it with this new axe, and it split this thing completely in two. Okay? She said, well, just stick it in the middle. (laughs) See, that's it. The gospel doesn't just tap us on the shoulder. Excuse me, you just need to kind of wipe your nose a little bit, or you got broccoli on your teeth. No. The gospel cuts, boom, right down the middle and says, you don't belong where you thought you belonged. And I am here to separate darkness from light, truth from untruth. I am here to make all things new. Jesus is that marvelous surgical axe that cuts deep to the core of our lives, saying the Father and I have one thing in mind, and that is to make all things new, to make you whole. The gospel splits us from where and who we think we need to be 
and takes us to where God knows we need to be. So as we enter this new year, let's consider this as we wrap up. If Jesus is incomparable, if Jesus is incomparable to anyone or anything, and we belong to him, if Jesus is in fact the shepherd, the good shepherd of our lives, if he came to unite us with himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit, why should or would we settle for lesser things that cause us to worry or fear? Why would we say, oh yeah, you can just give me your little Jesus tap on the, the surface, but don't go deep, deep into my heart. Why would we do that if he's all these things? Jesus cuts to the heart and splits us from these concerns by showing us that he is all that we need for everything. So let me ask you this, because I think it's what Jesus is asking that day in the temple, and he continues to ask every one of us every single day, and that is, who am I to you? Who is Jesus to you and me? Is he God? Is he fully God? Is, the, is he the creator of all that ever was? Is he fully capable by giving his life and dying and rising again to do everything that is needed in our lives? Is he the, the one who is able to redeem and make all things new in all of us, in all our situations, in us personally? Is he the one whose voice we know because he is making himself known to us as the Messiah who goes down to the very depths of our needs? Is he the Lord of our lives? Does he own everything that we are about? Our dreams, our disappointments, our fears? That's a huge question. And he wants to be all of those things. And he invites us to make a trade. Our life for his. Now, I'm an old baseball card trader. And I mean, that's like trading a Clay Dalrymple, a second-string catcher for the Phillies, for Sandy Koufax. I mean, what, why would you ever not make that trade? He says, you give me your broken life. You give me your life that's shattered by the world's axe, and I will give you my life that nothing can break. See, either Jesus is incomparable or he is not. And if he is not, then who is? If he is not, who is? And if no one is, we are on our own. And that, my friends, is a scary thought. But we are not on our own. Because he has come. He has come. He literally came. He's here right now in the power of his Holy Spirit. And he invites us to realize that by letting him be Lord, we will know that every space in our lives belongs to his redeeming touch. Our sadness, our worry, our anxiety, our everything belong to him as we truly let him be Lord. As an anonymous poem said long ago, here is a man, Jesus, who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village, he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. 
He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside what we would call a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that one usually accompanies with greatness. He had no credentials except who he was. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executors gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty long centuries have come and gone. We're in the 21st, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of grace. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the political bodies that ever sat, all the kings and presidents who ever reigned put together have not affected the life on earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. My friends, that's the incomparable Jesus Christ. No one's ever going to do that. We keep looking, as these leaders were looking, for someone who would come and be better than that. It's not going to happen. Our call is to surrender our lives. And when you, when you pair this with who we really are, you come up with this prayer from a Muslim, of all people, who had been captured by the grace of Jesus Christ. And he, he wrote this prayer that I think needs to be the prayer of all of us. O oh Lord, I am Mustafa, the tailor, and I work at the shop of Muhammad. The whole day long I sit and I pull needle and thread through the cloth. Oh God, you are the needle and I am the thread. I am attached to you. I follow you. And when the thread slips away from the needle, it becomes tangled and must be cut so it can be put back in the right place. Oh God, help me to follow you wherever you lead me, for I am really only Mustafa the tailor, and I work in the shop of Muhammad on the great square. Put your name in there, who you think you are, what you think you do. We are all that. And only as God pulls us to where we need to be will we have hope. My friends, this day, this hour, this year, isn't it time to make this our prayer? Lord, do with me whatever you know needs to be done. Isn't it time to know in our heart of hearts that every part of our lives is his mission to love and heal and forgive and redeem? And isn't the day we let this be the day the world sees this happening? I think it is. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for not being shy. Thank you for cutting deep within us. Thank you for coming in person because we are your mission. May we live joyfully, courageously, confidently, 
in the power of your love, for the glory of your name. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's join our voices and lives together in responding to this affirmation of faith. What must we know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Amen. May we live into this new year for God's glory. Grace. Another year of traveling around the sun, and that's spelled S-O-N. May we remember because he said it, because he did it, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us. Where we are, may we believe it and therefore go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen. 